If you have your Bible, I invite you to open it to Romans chapter 6 this morning. We're continuing in our free series, Romans chapter 6. We're going to be picking up starting in verse 15. You know, it was funny, that illustration that Pastor Marvin started out the service with, uh, asking everyone to move their seats. We tried that in Belmont a few weeks ago, and nobody moved. So I don't know if that says that in Belmont they listen to directions better or they're just not willing to follow their leadership uh, and move. I'm not, we'll let uh, you decide what that means. But, uh, but Pastor Marvin, the point we were trying to make was that we all have uh, some freedom that we enjoy. And we're going to talk about that this morning. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume the powers of the earth, the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government. Laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness." Prudence, indeed, will dictate that government longs, governments long established should not be changed for light or transient causes, and accordingly all experience hath shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms of which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations uh, pursuing invariable the same object evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism. It is their right, it is their duty to throw off such governments and to provide new guards for their future security. Such has been the patient sufferance of these colonies, such is now the necessity which constrains them to alter their former system of government The history of the present king of Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations, all having in direct object the establishment of an absolute tyranny over these states. To prove this, let facts be submitted to a candid world. And I'll stop there without reading all the reasons that follow. That, of course, is the Declaration of... Ratified July 4th, 1776... That is a familiar passage, a familiar uh, uh, passage that's often read this time of year. Maybe you've not read the entire thing uh, before. Maybe that's the first. I hope that's not the first time you've heard it. Pretty important document in the founding of the United States of America. But also, the idea I want to talk to you about this morning is this Declaration of Independence. 
Independence and freedom is something that's celebrated often on this weekend. We celebrate it in the same way as our forefathers celebrated it, by eating too much and blowing things up. Pretty sure that's what they did back then. Uh, Americans will consume about 150 million hot dogs tomorrow. I don't know how they estimate that, but it's on the Internet, so it has to be true. In this country, we're proud to be free. We celebrate rightly all those who have protected our freedoms. Perhaps in the times that we're living in, as we look around the world, that people who are often denied freedom, especially freedom to worship, becomes even more important to us to remember the freedom that has been given to us and that we have to gather like we do this morning. We like to be in control of our lives and the daily decisions we make, what to eat, what to watch, where to go. And we feel like we are in control. But the question I have this morning for you is, are we? We celebrate freedom this week, but how free are we really? Are we really as free as we celebrate? The Apostle Paul had something to say about freedom. As we've walked through this letter to the church in Rome, he's told us that Jesus, through his death and resurrection, has set us free from sin. In fact, being free is a big part of why we entitled this message series, Free, the Book of Romans. It's a huge part of what Paul talks about. Not only does Jesus set us free, but he offers us a free gift. But does he mean... Does Paul mean and does God mean that we are free to do whatever we want? Prior to our passage this morning, Paul's been arguing that while we are all guilty before God, through faith in Jesus Christ, we can all receive grace and forgiveness. Not based on what we do, but based solely on what Jesus did. This is such a scandalous claim that Paul anticipates the question raised in his readers and these followers of Jesus being, does that mean I can live any way that I want to live? If it's all about Jesus and his grace and what he did, does it really matter what I do? If what I do does not gain or earn me salvation in any way, and it's all about what Jesus did on the cross, then does it really matter what I do? And that's the question he's anticipating, and that's the question he's answering in Romans chapter 6. Beginning in verse 15, I want to read through chapter 7, verse 6. And this is what Paul writes. Well then... Since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God. Once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we've given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin and you have become slaves to righteous living. Because of the weakness of your human nature, I am using the illustration of slavery to help you understand all this. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness. 
which led ever deeper into sin. Now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living so that you will become holy. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. And what was the result? You are now ashamed of the things you used to do, things that end in eternal doom. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, dear brothers and sisters, you who are familiar with the law, don't you know that the law applies only while a person is living? For example, when a woman marries, the law binds her to her husband as long as he is alive. But if he dies, the laws of marriage no longer apply to her. So while her husband is alive, she would be committing adultery if she married another man. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law and does not commit adultery when she remarries. So my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. And now you are united with the one who was raised from the dead. As a result, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. When we were controlled by our old nature, sinful desires were at work within us. And the law aroused these evil desires that produced a harvest of sinful deeds resulting in death. But now we have been released from the law, for we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the Spirit. Paul's answering this question, does freedom and lavish grace that we have received mean that we can live however we want? Does our freedom allow us license to live however we want? Not surprisingly, his answer very quickly is no. But he gives reasons for that answer. And let's look at those for a few minutes this morning. Two reasons why lavish grace and freedom does not lead to licentiousness and sin and living whatever way we want. The first reason that lavish grace and freedom does not lead to living any other way you want is because you are not as free as you think you are. We are not as free as we think we are. We have all given ourselves to something. To make this point, Paul uses the image of slavery here. And perhaps when I read that, that kind of grated against your ears. That seems like an odd metaphor for many reasons. One, it's not something we like to talk about. Two, it seems irrelevant to many of our lives. Three, it seems out of step with the kindness of God that draws us to him. Well, there are limits to a metaphor. Paul himself admits that in verse 19. He said, I'm using this because of your weak nature. That's why I'm using the metaphor. There's limits to the metaphor. But it was not at all irrelevant to the people he was writing to. And like many literary devices, he really uses it to make one important point. And that is we are not as free as we think we are. We are all controlled by something. The metaphor Paul chooses of slavery may seem a little out of touch with us, but not to Paul's original audience. He's writing to Rome. 
And historians will tell us that in Italy, about the time that Paul was writing, 30 to 40% of the population of Italy were slaves. And so they, the, the illustration was not only relevant to them, either they were slaves, they knew someone who was a slave, or they had been a slave. So Paul is using an illustration that's very relevant to them. If I came in here and I was writing a letter to you at Mount Hope in 2016, I might say something different. I might say, it's like when you go to work for an employer. And all of us would say, yes, I understand that. And Paul says, it's like slavery. And they'd say, yes, we understand that. Because most of us have either experienced that or know someone who has. Slavery was not racial as we often think of it. Slavery in that time was more about social class. In most cases, slaves were not treated inhumanely by their masters either. So the people listening to Paul understood the metaphor perfectly. He was not endorsing slavery here. In fact, there are other texts that Paul says, look, if you're a slave and you can gain your freedom, then gain your freedom. So he's not endorsing it or promoting it here. He's simply using it as a metaphor to make the point that we are not in as much control as we think we are. We modern-day Americans really don't like the notion of being out of control. We like to pride ourselves on the ability to be independent, as illustrated earlier when we asked you to move your seat. Even those of you that did it, did it reluctantly or grumbling. Let me give you another illustration. Take out your cell phone. Take out your cell phone. Take your cell phone out and hold it up. It's the one time in church, maybe I'll take you to tell you to take out your cell phone. Here you go. I'm going to ask you to do something, and this is going to be news to some of you, first of all. I'm going to give you a bit of insight here to your cell phone. I don't care if you've got an Apple or an Android or, or an Alcatel or a flip phone, whatever you have. Here's, here's, here's some news to you. This device that you have in your hand, I can promise you one thing you may not know about this. It has a power button. It has this little button on it that if you hold it long enough, it will shut off. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want every one of us to take your power button and push it and shut your cell phone off. Power it down. Oh, here goes mine. Shut it off. Now, the ushers are coming to collect all the cell phones. No, they're not. But that would be hard for you, wouldn't it? It was hard. Some of you haven't even shut it off. Some of you haven't shut it off. And you've got a reason. I know you have a reason. Somebody, you're waiting for a call. Somebody's pregnant. Somebody's sick. Somebody somewhere might be hurt, and they're going to call you. So you've got a reason, and you, had a, you hadn't shut it off. And those of you that did shut it off, mine's still powering down. Those of you that did shut it off, how hard was it to actually shut that thing off and to be disconnected? And we think we are in control. Most of the time, we take this little device and we do whatever we want on it, right? I'm in control. I have freedom. But you can't even shut it off. You leave the house and you have to drive back and get it. We used to, let me give you some news. We used to be able to go to the airport and pick people up without one of these. I don't know how, but we did. We used to be able to go to the mall and not take this with us. 
and be okay with it. People used to not be able to reach us. And somehow we survived. Now we can't even shut them off. And we think we are in control. See, we're not as much in control as we think we are. Paul is saying, whatever you give yourself to, you become a slave to it, you obey it, it starts to control you. Why is it so hard for us to get rid of our cell phones, not check our email, delete our Facebook pages, other people, other things? Why can't you stop smoking, drinking, swearing, watching pornography, getting angry, being envious? hurting people close to us or feeling inadequate, even though we've promised ourselves many times we wouldn't do these things because we're not as much in control as we think we are. Even the times we think we're in control, we're not really in control. I'll tell you, one of the things, one of the places we think we have the most freedom is on this thing called the Internet, and we think we're in control. So you go on Google... And you're like, I want to know something about something. So I am going to punch it in Google because there is all this vast amount of knowledge and data out, just just millions and billions of pages. And I'm just, I just type it in and it comes to me, all this information about these things. And you think all this information is just coming to you unfiltered. And we think we're in control. I've got news for you. You're not. Here's what happens. If I type in a word and say Joseph goes to his Google and he types in the exact same word at the exact same time, sitting in this exact same place, we're going to get different Google search results. And we think we're in freedom. We think we have freedom. But what you don't realize is there's an algorithm working behind Google that has calculated all of your previous taps, all of your previous clicks, and it says you probably want these pages related to the topic you just typed in. And so Joseph and I are going to get very different results in different pages. So the freedom I thought I have, the control I thought I was in, I really don't have as much control. That's why on your Facebook page, those of you that are on Facebook, you notice, oh, hey, how come I don't see from those things anymore? How come I don't? Because Facebook determined, well, you don't click on them, so we're not going to show you those anymore. And you think you have freedom over these things, but we're not in control as much as we think that we are. We all know someone at some point who's controlled by something, and we can see it easily. What we can't see is we don't see it very easily in ourselves. It's easy to see in the person you know who's an addict and they're addicted to something and you can see the control it has. And the ironic thing is often you talk with them and they act like this is the one thing I have control over. And they act like this part of their life is the one thing I can control and I can stop it whenever I want. And you're saying this is the one thing in your life you can't control. And they can't see it. So what makes you and I think that we can see it when we are controlled by something? We often miss it. One final illustration on this. In the early 1890s, French French painter Auguste Renoir overheard two of his colleagues, Edgar Degas and Jean-Louis Ferrain, I'm sure that's not how you say that in French, but Ferrain is how I say it, talking about the technological miracle that had recently set uh, set Paris abuzz, the telephone. 
Ferrain was apparently quite proud of being one of the first people in the city to own one. Degas says, does it work well? Ferrain, very well. You turn a little handle, and a bell rings at the other end of the wire in the apartment of the person you're calling. When he unhooks the earphone, you talk just as easily as if you were in the same room. After reflecting a moment, Degas asked, and does it work just as well the other way around? The other person can also turn a little handle and ring you up? Of course, replied Ferrain, beaming. And when the bell rings, you get up and answer it? Why, yes, certainly. Just like a servant, concluded Degas. And the point is, whatever we give ourselves to, we become obedient to. We become slaves to. So you're in a conversation with someone, talking to them, but this little chime goes off. And you are trying to pay attention, but you know something's going on over here, and you're trying not to look, and, you're try- and you just put it down here, and you're like, yeah. <laughs> because we've given ourselves to these things. I'm not here to talk against cell phones. I, I really like my cell phone. Um, but the point is, it's just a good illustration of the fact that we think we're in more control than we are. And Paul is saying, you're not as in control as you think you are. So the first point of why we would not, why, why lavish grace does not lead to doing whatever you want is the point is you're not really in as much control as you think you are. The second point that's important that goes exactly with this is not only are you, you're not in as much control as you think you are, whatever you give yourself to, you're going to become obedient to. The second reason lavish grace and freedom does not lead to more sin is because as Christians, you have given yourself to God, so now you live your life for him. And that's really his point. That we are not as much in control as we think we are. You have given yourself to something. The only question is, what have you given yourself to? That's the only question. You can give yourself to a hobby. You can give yourself to a job. You can give yourself to a person. You can give yourself to God. The only question is, what have you given yourself to? Because Paul's saying, when you give yourself to God, then the whole question becomes moot. You don't have to worry about it because if you've given yourself to God, then you don't have to worry about sinning and living your life whatever way you want. You're going to want to live your life for what, to what you gave yourself to. When we think of slavery, we often think of the slave trade that occurred 18, 1900s, uh, 1700s in America. Uh, and what we often think of is against a person's will, being sold in a marketplace, those types of things. What we don't really think about and what was present in Paul's day was something called voluntary slavery. Uh, in Paul's day, this was, existed and was not uncommon that a person had, would give himself or herself to someone voluntarily, maybe in exchange for food or shelter or something else, but they would voluntarily become their slave. Paul is simply making the point that once you do that, You are not free to go and live your life whatever way you want to live it. Once you voluntarily enter into a relationship with someone and you give yourself to someone and you say that they are your Lord, it's foolish to say, well, then I can go and live my life whatever way I want because then you really haven't given yourself to that person. That's all he's saying. 
He's saying once you give yourself to God, if you have really come to that place where you got down on your knees, you got down, you prayed, you said, God, I am yours. You cannot then get up from your knees and go live your life any way you want. Paul's saying, you have given yourself to God. Why are you even asking the question? God is your master. God is your Lord. And if that's the case, then we don't even have to answer this, ask this question. It's like this. Some of you, when you go to work, some of you went to work in jobs where you had to sign a non-compete agreement. Or you had to, before taking a job, you had to sign a non-compete contract or a non-compete agreement. And what they made you say is, look, if you come to work for us, you cannot then go and do the same work on your own or for another company that directly competes with us. You can't, that's the agreement when you take the job. When you come and work for us, you are going to work for our interests. You are going to promote our causes and you're going to be a part of who we are. It's a non-compete agreement. Paul is basically saying the same thing. When you come to God... You have signed up to be a servant of God. You have signed up to, with God as your master, as your Lord. And so this question of can I go and live my life whatever we want is not one that Paul says is even really a question. Tim Keller says it this way. You can either be a slave to sin or you can be a servant of God, but you cannot be neither and you cannot be both. You can either be a slave to sin or a servant to God, but you cannot be neither and you cannot be both. You're either going to serve God or you're going to serve something else. In Paul's mind, it's almost silly, ludicrous to even think about having made God the Lord of your life through faith in Jesus and then living a life of intentional sin. Maybe Paul felt a little bit like this guy in this video. Watch this. Today's reading comes from the book of Proverbs. If I may digress for a moment from my prepared message, I mean it when I say to you, you guys, sometimes you're bad. Don't be jerks. You're supposed to be good. I'm in my office every day and somebody comes in and they're like, hey, whoops. My don't! Dan, what is your deal? If anybody doesn't know, Dan is the worst. I took a vow to not say who was the worst, but it's Dan. You guys are making me look bad in front of God. What's that? Oh, look, it's Jesus. And he said, stop it! Word of the Lord. Okay, so maybe Paul wouldn't have said it just like that. But that's kind of what Paul is saying. 
He's saying, look, you, you've united yourself with Christ. Why would you even ask the question about living your life whatever you want? That's not it. That's not the desire. That's not, that's not what God has called you to. So stop it. <laughs> that's kind of what this passage is saying. Just stop it. Stop asking the question. It's not even a, it's not even a valid question. Paul then goes on and uses a metaphor of marriage to illustrate the point that we now belong to God. We've died to the old way of living. We've died to the law. And we live for God. Our contracts with the old way of living are gone. Uh, but ultimately, and ultimately now we live for God. So the reasons that lavish grace and freedom does not lead to lives of sin is because we are not as free as we think we are. Everyone gives themselves to something. And if you are a Christian, you have given yourself to God. And if you've given yourself to God, then you live your life for him. You must remember whose you are. Sometimes we just need to talk to ourselves. Sometimes when we're tempted to go off and live our lives apart from the ways of God, I think we just need to remind ourselves who we belong to. That song we sang earlier, that we are a child of God, just the reminder of whose you are, what you've given yourself to, is something we all need on a daily basis in our lives. All of this may raise a couple of objections in your mind and in, uh, in your heart. Let me just raise uh, one or two real quickly as we close. One, did we just trade one law for another? Okay, so we're free from the law or the rules, but now we're slaves. How is this better? First, let's not forget that our righteousness is given to us. We are not trying to earn it by obedience. We live for God because he saved us, not in order that he might save us. It's kind of like this illustration I've used many times that just helps me understand this. If you had um, some children and you were trying to keep them safe from a busy street, and you've got a busy street that maybe runs by your yard, and you want to keep the children away from the busy street, there's a couple ways you can do it. One way you can do it is you can build a fence around your property. And you build a fence around your property, and it keeps the children in, keeps them away from the busy street, and protects them. And if you do that, I can almost guarantee I know where your kids are going to play. They're going to play right by the fence. And they're going to play as close as they can to that road, probably. But there's another way you can protect them. Let's say, different from the fence, instead of building a fence around the property, you build a sandbox and a playground right in the middle of your property. And now, the kids aren't anywhere near the fence, and they're not anywhere near the road because you've built the playground and the sandbox right in the middle of the property. And where are they? They're at the sandbox and they're at the playground because they've been drawn to that. And Paul is saying a similar thing as this. Look, you have this law, and it's like a fence. And it, it was there to try and keep you from the danger, but it's not the best thing. The best thing is when you have God right at the center of your life, and when you are drawn to God, you don't even play near the danger. You don't even play near the busy road because God has become such the center of your life that you have given yourself to him and that he is the object of your desire and he is the one you love and you realize how much he loves you. I don't want to go near that other stuff. And so the objection that we can now live however we want, if we have fallen in love with God, then we don't want to be near that other stuff. We've given ourselves to God. It's the difference between, in my life, I thought of it, it's the difference between when I was waiting for marriage and when I was married. When I was waiting for marriage, I was like, okay, 
don't do this, don't do that, keep away from this, don't do this, keep this. But when I got married, it was like, oh, now my focus is my wife. I'm not worried about all that don't do this stuff because my focus has become, at the center, my focus has become a person. And it's the same thing with God, how he desires for us to live. We traded a wage for a gift. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you were going to memorize one verse from this section, I would recommend memorize Romans 6.23. Commit that to heart. For the wages of sin, that is what I deserved, is death. But the free gift, that is what I did not deserve and could not earn, it's a free gift, is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And so it's, uh, we've traded a wage for a gift, not one law for another. We serve. Why do we serve? John Stott puts it this way. We serve not because the law is our master and we have to, but because Christ is our husband and we want to. Not because obedience leads to salvation, but because salvation leads to obedience. So one objection is, did we trade one law for another? Nope, we traded a wage for a gift. We traded a fence for a playground. We traded danger for a God right at the center of our lives. The second objection might be this. Look, can anyone really live a life free from sin? You know, it's easy for to stand up here and say, stop it. Don't do it. Stay away. And some of you feel like maybe you come to church and that's all you hear. Stop it. Don't do it. Stay away. And it's easy to say that, but you walk out of here, and I walk out of here, and you say, it's tough to live that. It's tough for me to live that. Can anyone really live a life free from sin? Because you go from this place, and I go from this place, and we struggle. And you know people who struggle. You know people in this room who you look at, and you, and you think they are so close to God. I guarantee you when they leave this place, they struggle. So Paul can say, stop it. And Paul can say, God, make God the object of your desire. But the question is, can we really ever live a life free from sin, you might say? Is it even possible? Well, for that question, come back next week. Or you might just want to read ahead. Because Paul is going to address that exact topic in chapter 7. He's going to address this exact topic of can we ever live this life free from sin and what that struggle is like. I'll give you a sneak peek. The truth is you can't do it, but Jesus did it. Jesus did it for you, and he now gives you the Holy Spirit to live that life of God that he's called you to live, that he puts his spirit in you to help you live the life he's called you to live. That is a gift of God, that you're not trying in your own strength to keep the law, You are living with the living God, dwelling in your heart, dwelling in your spirit, giving you the strength to live this life. So in conclusion is this. Today is Independence Day. So live your life independent of sin and in dependence on God. And we go from this place remembering that we are called to live our lives independent of sin, but in dependence on God. And so if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, then I would encourage you to consider this offer of Romans 6.23. 
The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God, free gift, is eternal life in Christ Jesus. doesn't cost you anything. Jesus already paid the price. God wants you to be in relationship with him. He invites you. He paid the price so you could be. I'd encourage you today to make that decision to follow him. You are going to give yourself to something. You have already given yourself to something. The only question is, what is the ends of what you've given yourself to? Paul says, look, if it's not Jesus, the end of everything else is death. It comes to an end. It all goes back in the box, game over. But if you give yourself to Jesus, the end is eternal life with God. And so he says, consider that. Your wages, what you deserve is death. All of us have fallen short. But God didn't leave us there. He offers us the free gift of eternal life. If you are a Christian and you're here this morning, the call for you is to live your life with God at the center. That you... Don't even need to ask the question, can I live my life whatever way I want? The question is not how close can I get to hell and still go to heaven. The question is how close can I get to God? The question is how much can I love him and live with him and serve him? That's the question. And there, just like that word that was given earlier in the service, I believe you will find true joy in the Lord and in his presence. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. Lord, and we recognize that our lives have only earned death. But Lord, we thank you that through faith in Jesus Christ, we are offered the free gift of eternal life. So, God, I pray that you would open our eyes today, Lord, because there are some who are here this morning still skeptical that they are really a slave to anything. Some of us here this morning still think we have complete control and complete freedom over our lives and direction. Father, I pray that you'd open our eyes and hearts so that we might see how little control we really have. And that's a scary proposition, Lord. But Lord, if that's the only way that we will come to the place of recognizing that we need you, then it would be worth it, Lord. So open our eyes. Help us to understand we are not in control. We don't have complete freedom. We are trusting in something. Lord, may it be the living God that we trust in. May it be the God who created us, who loved us, who died for us. May that be the God that you trust in. The God that died and rose again is the only one you can trust to take you through this life and even through death. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be a church that lives for you wholeheartedly, with you at the center, with you, Lord Jesus, as the object of our love. 
that we would not be a slave or a servant of anything except our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I ask that you'd help us to do that and live that out in his name. Amen.